0: Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So that of course means that I am once again back with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday afternoon?
1: I am splendid. I'm really excited to uh talk about some of the guys we are scheduled for today. Um, and it's just it still continues to blow my mind that the end of end of the college season is almost here um the this season has absolutely flown by but it's been fun
0: by the time we record next week it will literally be march which is kind of a terrifying prospect to consider but you know we're we're getting close to the really heated up part of the college basketball season which is exciting and terrifying at the same time
1: yeah and you know that that, that's when we when we really get into uh the the thick of things and stuff starts becoming a lot more real and stuff's gonna pick up and more and more eyes are gonna be on these guys so it it will be exciting to see who elevates their game even further and um if anyone kind of tails off and if anyone kind of comes out of nowhere to be the 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 March uh, darling that we get pretty much every year.
0: So now that we've talked about March Madness and March Darlings, let's move on to talk about someone who is nowhere near the college basketball scene, because of course, that's the transition that we want here. So today, we are going to talk about Tyler's most recent article over at No Ceilings NBA. So be sure to check that out. No Ceilings NBA is the new URL for our new venture. So today, we're going to start out by talking about Gabriel Procida, who you wrote your most recent Friday screener piece on over at No Ceilings. And he's someone who has a really interesting scoring game. And so you discussed his scoring versatility. He's someone who certainly can light it up from long range, but that is not all there is to his scoring game by any stretch of the imagination. So Tyler, why don't we start out with a brief summary? What are your thoughts on what you've seen from Procida so far this season?
1: And he's quickly emerged as I think my favorite international prospect this season. Um, which is really saying something considering, you know, the the names that were ahead of him coming into the season. Where you know, entering the season, I kind of saw him as maybe just a fringe draft guy, um, and just a long term option. But the offensive versatility, the scoring versatility that he's shown all season, has been so incredibly impressive and their skills and tools that aren't really that difficult to see translating to the NBA. Um yes, he's a very good shooter from outside, but that's not all he does and I know that he'll get the label of foreign white shooter thrown on him, but he's way more than that with his craft, his balance, his footwork, his ball handling, his ability to change angles and speeds is really special and is just a, a really cool scoring arsenal for an off-ball guard who, yes, he can knock down open catch-and-shoot threes, but then he can also attack closeouts, score in transition, create out-of-the-pick-and-roll, and score on the move. So it, it's a really well-rounded arsenal that he brings to the table Um, that not a ton of players his age show as consistently as he has this season.
0: So I suppose after your love for Trey Mann last season, it was only natural that you gravitated towards your favorite international prospect being someone with an excellent step back. But I think it's also important to mention, as you did, that his shooting game from long range is nowhere near all there is to his offensive arsenal. He really does do quite a lot with the ball in his hands that you wouldn't associate with just your stereotypical sort of pure shooter type. And As we've seen over the last few years in the NBA, if the only thing that you can do is shoot from long range, a la Troy Daniels, then, you know, you kind of can get played out of the league if you can't do something else. But Procida has shown that he can attack the basket when given the opportunity. He's not just someone who you stick out beyond the three-point line and basically say, okay, let's make sure that the defense pays attention to you in the corner, but that's really all you're out here for is to just stand in the corner and space the floor.
1: Exactly. And being a great shooter is obviously an awesome skill and a really important one to have in the NBA. But if you can't do anything off the dribble, you become much easier to defend because defenders can just close out aggressively, run you off the line because they know that you can't do much of anything once they run you off the line where, you know, when it comes to proceed he's more than happy to attack closeouts and get in the mid-range where he can create with step-backs or fadeaways or even really attack the rim and he he has a lot more vertical pop um and explosiveness to his game than most people will initially give him credit for. He struggles a little bit to finish through contact, but I think that's more of just needing to add strength um because he's not afraid of going up through contact, it's just he's kind of easily affected by it right now but he has that vertical pop that i think is really encouraging and i think he has a a frame that suggests he should be able to add muscle without much much issue but his his ability to attack closeouts and get to his spot or pump fake freeze the defender take one dribble and then step take a four foot step back into a three It's just a a really difficult skill set to defend because you you don't necessarily know where he's attacking, where he's going to shoot from, and he can launch himself at so so many different angles that it's a a really difficult shot to contest.
0: So not to just make the obvious white guy shooter kind of comparison, although at least this isn't Mm -hmm. a white European shooter comparison, so maybe I get a little bit more leeway here, but... We talked about this with Corey Kispert a lot last year when we were Mm -hmm. reviewing last year's draft prospects, that he's someone who is, I argued that he was an above average vertical athlete for his draft class. And that's not exactly something that you would assume when just looking at him as a six foot seven white dude. But the fact that he has that vertical pop was really encouraging in terms of his projection to be able to do more than just stand in the corner and shoot spot up three pointers and Proceda definitely has a similar sort of athleticism where maybe you wouldn't expect the player of that archetype to be that kind of athlete, but he is a really solid athlete and probably projects out to at least average at the NBA level, if not maybe even a little bit above average for his position.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, so in, in the half court, he struggles to show off as much of that vertical pop right now because of that lack of strength and he, he doesn't always necessarily attack the rim with that, you know, that as that much aggression. Um, but when he has a clear lane or is in transition, that's when we really see it. And he's, you know, his eyes are almost on the rim. It's like, OK, this guy can get up at six, seven. He's got some lift to his game. And once he adds more muscle, I think we will continue to see more of that um, in his game, because like I said earlier, he just kind of currently struggles to finish through contact because of that lack of strength but right now where i think his explosiveness really shows and really shines is how he gets into a step back and his ability when he gets into a step back he puts so much explosion into that right foot when he plants it he his shin angle is really low he gets really low in a squat and launches off that right foot, which creates a ton of space, and he does this out of the corners, he does it in the mid range he does it from the top of the key, and he can launch it you know straight backwards at a forty five degree angle straight to the side it, It's a bunch of different ways that he explodes off that right foot that I think it, it's really encouraging for his his long term um you know shot creation and shooting versatility because if he just constantly went back at the same angle, then it's okay that this is the shot the guy's going into, but he's, you don't always know where he's going off of it. And when he does explode off of it, he generates so much space and then has the springs to once he does the the second, his feet, both his feet land in that step back, he's immediately rising up for the shot. So it's just a, a really impressive and, um, kind of surprising springiness to his game.
0: So you mentioned this in the article, but I did want to make sure to highlight it here because I think it's really important. You mentioned how there's been this proliferation of step backs in NBA and college and international game over the past few years just due to how much space players can create with that kind of shot. But because it's become such a common shot, it's a little bit more difficult to sort of distinguish the good ones from the great ones in terms of step backs and also, you know, the good ones from the mediocre ones, but really for Procida, it's just, as you mentioned, how much space he can generate on that step back, how he can get to that step back from a variety of different angles, how it's not just a way to create shots for himself from beyond the three point line, but also something that he uses to his advantage in the mid range and you know, again, it's not particularly surprising to me that you have fallen in love with a prospect who has a great step <laughs> back, but it's certainly a highlight for Proceda and something that will be huge for him in terms of his shot creation at the NBA level.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's funny that that you keep bringing it back to that you're not super surprised by my affinity for him. because listeners from last season will remember my affinity for trey man and it's not he doesn't have that same flexibility where he's really overextending with that right foot and then launching back the same way that trey man has mastered but i i think it's a little even more explosive where he's really jumping back into it um and generating a significant amount of space when when you've i want to throw something at you How how surprised by his step backs and kind of space creation were you like the the first time you watched him?
0: I mean, this is not going to reflect well on my previous Corey Kispert related statements, but I was surprised (laughs) with, as you mentioned, the explosion that he gets on those step backs. You know, that's the kind of thing where some step backs are, I mean, the best step backs are really sort of violent moves just because it's a move that you generate a ton of space by pushing backwards. But I was surprised by just how explosive he was getting into those looks. And that's a really positive sign for his future, because the more space you generate on those looks, the easier it is to knock down shots once you get to the end of it.
1: Do you think he has like on ball upside um, in his future? Or do, do you see him more as kind of a, an off ball sh- scorer who can then really counter defensive rotations and switches and stuff like that? Because the, the, the latter is more towards where I'm leaning.
0: How funny that you mentioned that because I was gonna ask you that question. I think that oh, generally reading speaking your mind. There we go. I think that generally speaking, as came up when we have talked about Jaden Ivy throughout the season, I'm more optimistic about players being able to develop more on ball juice if they have at least certain skills that bode well for them to be able to do something with the ball in their hands. So I'm optimistic about him having some upside on that front, but really for me, I mainly see it as right now he's someone who I can project to be a bucket getter off the bench who, because he has at least a little bit of on-ball juice, he's not someone who you are afraid of having the ball in their hands. But I think that at first, he's probably just going to be more of a 10 to 15 minute a game flamethrower slash shooter off the bench. And then depending on the team situation, maybe he gets more opportunities to have the ball in his hands. But I think that's a skill that he needs to develop more rather than what he has right now. But I am pretty optimistic about his potential to do that, especially given that he has shown that he can be proficient at creating his own shot on multiple levels, not just either at the rim or beyond the three-point line.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm landing right now with him, too, because I, I think the, the off-ball shooting is a, a real weapon, whether it's spot-up or off-screens. I, I really love the way he moves off-ball, um especially running off-screens. There's a d- deliberateness to it and uh, athleticism and explosiveness to his moving off-ball, which I think is r- really important to his game, and then how he can use that. Those on-ball scoring skills that we've kind of outlined as an off-ball scorer—I know that kind of sounds like an oxymoron—but to use that to then attack closeouts and rotations and mismatches as a secondary guy, I, I think is going to be really special because I, I just don't think he has the the, the requisite playmaking skill um, to really be a you know a, a quote-unquote primary operator. Um, even though there are some passing or er, some encouraging signs with this passing, I think.
0: Yeah, that I think is worth mentioning just in the sense that because he's gonna need a bigger engine around him rather than just being the primary player with the ball in his hands, I guess that sort of limits his avenues to playing time in one sense, but on the flip side I think that you know, he's going to earn most of his playing time on the floor by being a shooter plus in the sense that he's not just a shooter. He does other things with the ball in his hands. He's someone who, if the ball is swung to him, you can reliably say that he's not going to make a terrible decision most of the time, but certainly early on, you're primarily going to have him out there for his shooting punch. So it really becomes a question of, you know, what team does he end up going to and how much does that team let him have the ball in his hands? Because if he... Starts out his NBA career and has a couple of seasons where he shoots 40% from three on a decent number of attempts and isn't a liability when the ball is swung to him, then, you know, that would presumably lead to him getting more opportunities with the ball in his hand down the line. But he's going to have to, I think, earn his way into an NBA rotation first before he gets too many of those opportunities. But I mean, he will at least be able to show something when the ball is swung to him rather than just sort of panicking about, oh, no, this guy's going to have to try and dribble the ball. What's going to happen now?
1: I think that's really important because he's one of these guys that's going to force defenders to make a decision. Whereas elite shooters, they're almost an automatic hard closeout, run them off the line, make them do something off the dribble. Bad shooters, it's a short closeout, contain them if they shoot it, so be it. He's one of these guys where you don't want him to necessarily do either because he is a really adept shooter off the catch. So if you close out short to him, he'll just drain a three over you. If you run him off the line, he'll attack the rim or snake his way through the lane and pull up for a mid-range step back. So there are just so many ways that he can really punish a defense and make them think and make them... You know, question their own decisions, and that, that split second of hesitancy by the defender opens up another window for him to e- either make that extra pass or pull it for a shot or attack their hesitancy.
0: Okay, so time for some reckless speculation, or at least as reckless as we get mm-hmm. on this podcast. Where do you think Proceda ends up getting drafted? If he stays in the draft this year, do you think he stays in the draft this year? Right now, I think he's probably an early-ish second-round guy who gets stashed in Europe for another year or two, but especially given that this is a slightly down international draft class, with, of course, the exception of Nikola Jovic, who I will not let your slander against him from earlier go unnoticed or <laughs> unpointed out on this particular podcast, but... Given that this is a relatively weaker international class, and because there's a lot of consternation about how similar the quality of player is between 20 and 50 in this draft, I definitely think that there's a very good chance that Prasida gets drafted early in the second round as a draft and stash guy. I would assume that if he ends up going in the first round that he probably finds a way to get over to that NBA team as soon as possible, but... My thoughts are sort of early second round projection this year, maybe he gets stashed for a year and then a year or two from now comes back into the NBA as a 15-ish minute a game guy who's going to get a lot of buckets off the bench. But what are your thoughts on projection for where he might get drafted and then projection for what he might look like his first few years in the NBA?
1: Yes, and I, I, I would take him in the late first, but I would guess he goes more early, early to mid-second. Um... I, I would prefer for him to, you know, I, I would love to see him come over right away and basically do what the Timberwolves are doing with Leandro Balmaro, where oh. they they brought him over. Er, well, I, I guess Balmaro stayed over there for an extra year. Um, I think that was more because of contract issues. But I would love to see, the, see an NBA team bring Procedo over right away and then just basically put him in their G League system for a year and let him kind of adapt and adjust to the cultural changes and the style of play over here, Um, along with, you know, what the organization wants from him and their development system. And then, you know, being over here on the G League, there there would be a handful of games that they could bring him up, Um, whatever, if he's on a two-way or whatever it is. So I think early, that's what I would like to see for him but you, you never know how some of these nba teams operate um so it it wouldn't surprise me if he gets stashed overseas for a year and an nba team's like we'll, we'll revisit this next summer um if he doesn't show any improvement then you know i i feel like that's when we that's all we typically see from those guys where if if they don't so, show any growth then it's like mm, well see ya um but then. My, my my initial guess is that we probably wouldn't see him get like legitimate minutes in a rotation until year two at the earliest, but I, I would like to get him in an NBA system or development program, whether it's on, on the first team or in the G League, as soon as possible.
0: So you mentioned the strength being a potential concern for him, and while that's less of an issue in an overseas professional league than it would be in, say, a college system, you know, him getting a year or two in NBA weight rooms would certainly help with that strength issue. So if he does end up being someone who spends most of his time in the G League working on his game, working on getting stronger, I think that's going to be a huge benefit to him if he does end up coming over, as you mentioned. You know, again, it's not like he's going to be without options in terms of weight training, playing for a professional team overseas, but there's a difference between. Mm-hmm. The NBA and other leagues in terms of that kind of strength training, and so it'll be helpful for him to be in the program sooner rather than later.
1: It's just a different level of resources that these NBA organizations have with weight rooms and trainers and nutritionists and chefs and 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 all of that. So, you know, I I would expect him to just naturally get stronger after another year, just given you know just natural body development, but just getting him in that NBA development program as soon as possible and you know getting those habits set early on in his career whether you know in terms of diet and lifting and conditioning and and just all all that stuff that we we don't really get to see then it's all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes i think just getting him into that as soon as possible would just do do wonders for his long-term development
0: so we've talked about someone who is more than just a shooter at length in this podcast but Before we wrap things up today, I just wanted to run through some of our favorite shooting prospects in this draft, whether it be top of the line guys. I certainly have a couple of guys who I'm going to mention who are all but certain to go in the lottery at this point, but... You know, I just wanted to talk through some of our favorite shooters in this draft, and I'm going to start with you, put you on the spot here, Tyler. So why don't you talk about one of your favorite shooters in this draft class and sort of where you stand on their game, both as a shooter and, of course, as we talked about with Proceda, their game overall sort of outside their shooting touch. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to go kind of more of a a deep cut to start off right away. Um, And that's Tevin Brown from Murray State. I think he's pretty much just an off-ball shooter. Um but the way he moves off ball, his, he has a really quick release, he has good size. Um I I just love the way he shoots and I, you know, we're not talking about defense with him right now, but he is a good off-ball defender which I think will help him kind of c- cut into a rotation. So his his quick release, um his size, and his just kind of shooting accuracy and consistency. I, I think he's one of the better, um, you know, shooters that that the teams can target in the second round.
0: Yeah. So mainly the reason that I wanted to say that these guys are not just pure shooters is because oftentimes you have to be able to bring something else to the table. So I think Brown is a great player to discuss, and I think it is important to discuss his. Defense as well, because a lot of times we talk about three and D players, and certainly the guy that I'm going to bring up first is someone who fits that mold almost to a T. But you know, you can't just be a Ryan Anderson or a Troy Daniels out there. If all you can do is shoot three pointers, then teams will find a way to exploit that and take advantage of it. So for Tevin Brown, the fact that he can provide that defense is really a huge boost for his NBA future. That being said, the fact that he's primarily an off-ball guy just means that he won't have the same kind of juice that we were discussing with Prasida in the sense that you can rely on him to be decent with the ball in his hands, make a good decision, maybe even drive and attack, a closeout, if that's the right move in that moment, but... The fact that he can provide value as a spacer on one end and as a high-level defender on the other end, I think, makes him someone who definitely has a serious chance in the second round. And, of course, this is ultimately the Draft Deep Dives podcast, so the fact that I'm going to talk about two sort of mainline guys maybe doesn't fit into that, but Tevin Brown does, so thank you for bringing him up. Absolutely. So the first guy that I wanted to talk about as a shooter is Benedict Matherin, who. He has cooled off a little bit recently from three point range, but, and this is cheating a bit, but if you remove his one poor shooting performance against Arizona State, he's still at 40% three point shooting for the year. And he's someone who was probably a back end of the first round kind of player last year, but came back to school at Arizona for one of the best, if not the best, teams in college basketball this year, and seems pretty clear that he's going to be a lottery-type pick now, someone who doesn't have as much on-ball juice, but is a very well-developed shooter who will space the floor right away and also provide serious value with his defense. and. He's someone who I think is kind of like a fifth starter type, in the sense that you know he's not going to be the primary guy for a team, but he's going to fill in, play great defense, and knock down a lot of shots from three point range.
1: I'm 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 a pretty big Mathurin fan. I I, th- I think the way you kind of summed up his offensive game is pretty just spot on the nose, where he he will thrive as an off ball shooter. Um, But then this season, he's shown. Not not much on ball creation juice, but at least the ability to attack closeouts and finish at the rim or pull up for you know a, a two dribble mid-range pull up, just little stuff like that is really important because like we talked about earlier with Proceda, it just forces the defense to make a decision and you know hesitate at times. So when you have that just that little bit of versatility to your scoring game, it makes you just a much more valuable player, but also a, a more effective shooter because the the defense isn't always just aggressively aggressively closing out on you.
0: All right, back over to you. Who's your second shooting prospect in this draft that you want to talk about today?
1: All right, so I the percentages don't necessarily reflect this Uh, 38.5% from the floor, 31.6% from three. But I I think Max Christie is going to be one of the best shooters to come out of this class. The, the way he moves off ball, the way his mechanics look on every single shot, they look perfect. Um, I I, I think just as he continues to get stronger, he's just going to be one of the most consistent shooters out of this draft, um, and I refuse to believe otherwise.
0: So not to go back to the well again, because this is a comparison that I make constantly, but Max Christie is kind of the opposite of the Derek Williams fallacy, where the fact that he's not shooting well from three-point range doesn't reflect what he shows on film with the crispness of his shot, the repeatability of it, and just how good his shooting motion and mechanics look. And You know, something else that we've talked about, which is, I guess, the Tyrese Halliburton corollary is the shot doesn't exactly have to look pretty all the time to go in. You know, if it goes in at a high rate, then you take it, even if it's not the prettiest looking shot. But the prettier looking shots are easier to sort of conceive of being repeatable in terms of movement shooting. And that's something that will be huge for Chrissy over the course of his future NBA career. So I'm not as high on him as you are, but I also agree with you that the... 38% 38% for the field and 31% overall doesn't really do justice to the kind of prospect that he is as a shooter. And maybe another year in college with numbers that are closer to what we'd expect would lead to him being someone in the Matherin slash Jaden Ivy mold, you know, someone who was considered a back half of the first round kind of prospect comes back to school and all of a sudden they're considered as a lottery type guy.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm I'm already there with Christian. I kind of consider him a lottery guy, which I know is a lot higher than than most. But he's just one of these guys where I just love his approach to the game and everything he does on both ends of the floor. Um, and he, even though the production doesn't necessarily hint at it right now, I I think he's gonna be one of these guys um, where a couple years from now it's like, oh yeah, that Why did that guy not go top fifteen?
0: There's always someone, you know. There's always someone who you look back on it and admittedly I have been very low on Cam Thomas on this podcast in particular but I ultimately I'm... refused to bump him out of my first round because of his shot creation skills and how maybe everything else looked questionable but that looked to be all the way there and this year it certainly seems like I was undervaluing just how important his shot creation was and you know it's very clearly sort of a why did I have him as lower than the 27th overall pick, which is where he ended up going. That already feels foolish. I don't know. I sort of stand by the reason why I had him there. But again, there's always one or two guys every year that it's like, wow, what did we miss here? Because this seems pretty obvious in hindsight.
1: Yeah, and, and we were pretty aligned on on our uh, frustrations with Cam all season last year. But I, I, I do think he ended up in, maybe the best situation he yeah. could have um but the, the 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 way the way that scoring is translated immediately has been awesome um and you know we, we we always enjoy being wrong on guys in those types of situations
0: yeah definitely much better to be wrong on a guy in terms of underestimating and be like well i'm pleasantly surprised by how that went as opposed to <laughs> exactly. the opposite which is just depressing
1: <laughs> exactly who, who, who was the second shooter you had
0: so the second guy I wanted to talk about, and shout out to a friend of the program, Stephen Gillaspie, who had me on his show, Draft Capital, and we talked about this guy. And he was someone who I hadn't seen that much of before I went on that podcast, and since then, doing a deep dive on the film, he really stood out to me. Isaiah Mosley for Missouri State— He is just a fraction below 50-40-90 shooting and 20 points per game. So he's at 19.5 points per game, 49.9% from the floor, 42% from three-point range, and above 90% from the free throw line. So the rest of his game is not particularly well-rounded or fantastic, but... He is just an absolute flamethrower with a ball in his hands, and he's not just doing it purely against inferior competition. His one game against a ranked opponent this year in 22nd-ranked Loyola Chicago, he put up a casual 40-burger on them, so it's not just that he's putting up great points totals in a league that isn't as strong as some of the top conferences. You know, even when the level of competition does jump up, he just has a really solid handle and can get to a shot basically whenever he wants. And, you know, 50, 40, 90 on 20 points a game is impressive anywhere. Doing that at the college level when you're the entirety of your team's offense is just fascinating. So I think he's someone who could Really, make something out of a late second round pick slash being an undrafted guy and showing up to camp because if he gets really hot in a couple of summer league games, some NBA team is going to look at that and say, "You know what? Maybe the rest of the game isn't all the way there, but this guy can really, really shoot
1: yeah and and if if you can prove to be an elite shooter uh, regardless of competition, NBA teams are always fascinated by that and and there there's always at least a spot on the roster for those types of guys, um, to get actual minutes, he, he's going to have to be able to show a little bit more, but as long as you can kind of just get your foot in the door, uh, that that's a lot more than so many players can can say, and being an absolutely deadly shooter is one of the best ways to do that now.
0: So the last guy that I have is someone who I know is a mutual favorite of both of ours, but who do you have as the third guy you wanted to bring up as a shooter for this particular discussion?
1: Um, so honorable mention, I was, I could have gone with Lee from Davidson. I could have gone from with Champagny from St. John's. Um, I'm going to go even deeper than Tevin Brown. I'm going to go with uh, Sasha Stefanovic from Purdue. Um, I, I just, I, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't at least get a summer league invite uh six five senior shooting forty and a half percent from three on six and a half attempts per game um all he pretty much does is shoot threes but he's also shown you know improved passing this year and he's up to three and a half assists per game on just 1.3 turnovers i just the the difficulty of the shots he takes and the variety that he takes is just really intriguing he's just a deadly deadly shooter um the and he he runs off screens, he pulls up from deep. He has a really really quick trigger and he's always ready to shoot. So I I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, a, an an NBA starter by any means, but it it wouldn't shock me if he gets invited to training camp um and then we we kind of periodically hear his name pop up um in middle of the season games every now and then.
0: So, Jaden Ivy and Trevion Williams have taken a lot of the highlights from the Purdue Boilermakers this season, but Stefanovic is someone who's been a really underappreciated part of what that team has been able to do this season. So, it will be interesting. I think that ironically, even though he gets less of the spotlight because he's playing alongside Ivy and Trevion Williams, I think the fact that he plays for a Purdue team that a lot of scouts are going to be watching might lead to him having a better shot of at least getting a call from an NBA team. So it'll be sort of interesting to see what his draft night looks like, but I think more than that, what his summer league and lead up to preseason looks like because, you know, similar to Isaiah Mosley, if he gets really hot in the right situation and just puts up flames for a couple of games, then that's the kind of thing that can lead to a guy getting drafted or at a very minimum, at least getting a training camp invite.
1: Yeah, i I think that improved passing is going to be key for him too, because he's he's not going to be like a pure point guard or playmaker or anything like that. But being able to just aggressively run off screens and take advantage of defensive miscommunication when both guys go to him, and he can just make that like little slip pocket pass to the roller. Just little stuff like that will really help highlight. Um, that, okay, th- this guy can do a little more than just knock down open threes. Um, And, and he's just, he's a really good movement shooter too. So it, what he does in summer league, I, I I think could be really intriguing.
0: All right. And last up, my third guy, someone who we have talked about on this podcast for going on four years at this point, Oshae Igbachi <laughs> out of Kansas, who has gone from someone who wasn't really a shooting threat at all to at times at 47% from three-point range this season. That's come down a little bit in the last few weeks to 44% from deep, so it's not like he's fallen off the map as a shooter. You know, he's proven himself to be someone who has improved so dramatically as a shooter since his freshman year and is someone who it's not hard to project him being a 40% guy from the NBA line. And when you combine that with the fact that he's had an NBA-ready frame for two or three years now and is one of the best defensive players in the country, it's not hard to see why a lot of people, myself included, admittedly, have him as a lottery-type pick. And I think that he could very easily follow the Chris Duarte playbook from last year of being an older college player who has this pretty proven 3 and D type skill set that maybe there isn't much potential down the line, but he already at this point is someone who could earn 10 to 15 minutes a game in an NBA rotation. And as I believe I've talked about previously with Agbachi, the fact that he's 22 years old at this point, you know, leads to teams sort of viewing the potential ceiling as lower. But the fact that he's improved so drastically over the course of his college career, I don't want to rule out anything from him in terms of how high his ceiling might potentially be. But even at this point, with what he's shown in his junior and senior seasons, it's very easy to project him as a really solid 3 and D option. And who knows, maybe there's more there.
1: And I've I've been I've been on the Igbashi hype train with you since day one, um, and been begging him to freaking go to the NBA, um, and and he's denied me at every turn, but I I absolutely love his game and every season he's improved and every season he shows something new, um, the the fact that his shooting has taken such a leap this year I think is so encouraging. He's such a smart and competitive team defender his ability to kind of create on ball and pass and play make and run an offense has improved i think he's one of the best leaders in the country i i'm right there with you that i, I think he's a lottery talent and I, I would be really surprised if he's not at least a quality rotation guy for a, a pretty long time all right
0: anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap things up
1: uh, I I I don't think so. Go go watch these guys; they're fun. Shooting's fun. Um, I'm and then just uh, everything. No ceilings. We got good stuff. Go read it. Go subscribe to all of it.
0: Definitely do as Tyler said. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at t m e t c a l f one one, and you can of course find his work at No Ceilings No Ceilings NBA.com, dot com at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter. You can also find Tyler's work at hashtag basketball and at Canis Hoopas. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my work on No Ceilings and hashtag basketball. I will have the next piece in my Sleeper Deep Dive series going up in a couple of days. So on Thursday morning, if you want to check that out. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.